We don't have the capacity uh, to fight fires. The union of BC Indian chiefs calls for an immediate state of emergency rejected as residents defend their properties surrounded by flames. Plus, they're going to have an idea of some of the precious items that that they would like to recover if they can. We're going to help them do that. The volunteer-led team of veterans who helped Fort McMurray recover from wildfire head to Lytton and. We have seen uh, several first doses today, so that's fantastic. Pop-up vaccine clinics in Metro Vancouver focus on boosting slumping first dose numbers. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. No easing of the anxiety when it comes to the wildfire fight across the province. 306 active fires are burning in B.C., with 27 of them sparked within the last two days alone. Our Paul Johnson is joining us from 100 Mile House, where residents are coping with multiple fires burning in the region. Paul. Yeah, that's right, Neetu. Hey, take a look up uh, behind me here, and you'll see that is not a cloud. That is mostly smoke. And that's coming from the Flat Lake Fire, which is burning south and west of 100 Mile House. It's really become the wildfire of concern here over the past couple of days. It's grown substantially. It's now well north of 14,000 hectares. And we're just learning that there were some more evacuation orders issued late today connected with that. Now, there aren't a lot of homes out in that area, but the ones that are out there tend to be connected to working ranches. So in this case, this threatens not only people's homes, but their livelihoods as well. Cattle roundup at the Bishop Meadows Ranch south of 100 Mile House. This is something they'd normally do only in the fall. But with the Flat Lake fire almost surrounding their property, Dave Cunningham made the call to bring them in. They've been started these backburns and uh, we're trying to keep the cattle safe. Cunningham's family has ranched here since the 1800s. So when the authorities came with an evacuation order, the reaction from a family that's seen wildfires for a few generations was not so fast. My grandfather saved this place in the 1920s with a horse and cow hides. So I'm sure that we can do it with their support and the machinery we got. While that's an attitude likely to make government bureaucrats faint of heart, the Cunningham's do-it-yourself approach to wildfires is part of the culture in rural South Caribou. It's ranchers like the Cunninghams who have the deep knowledge of the land, weather patterns, what's burned before, what equipment's available, and what's the fastest way to make use of it. We've got lots of equipment on hand, so we're feeling fairly comfortable unless they back burn towards us then we could be, could be in a little trouble. While ranchers up here have had their disagreements with the wildfire service over tactics like backburns, one thing they're generally pleased with is the help they've gotten installing pumps and sprinklers to keep their buildings wet. The Cunninghams hope the swamps and lakes that surround their home will act as a natural fire break if it comes to that. And if it does, professional firefighters ought not to be surprised if Dave's out there with his water truck protecting his cattle. The big thing is not to get too stressed and uh, just deal with it from day to day. 
Roberto, once again, we ought to give you a reminder about travel conditions connected to the wildfires. Um, this fire in particular is burning right close to Highway 97. That was closed a couple of days ago. They managed to reopen it, but uh, we're told the smoke is now so thick there that they could close that again. So if you're making any plans to travel into the interior, especially if that includes Highway 97, which is the main north-south route here, check with Drive BC before you leave. It could be closed. Need and on to? that note, Paul, you and cameraman Pat Bell stay safe as well. Thanks so much for your coverage again tonight. In the central Okanagan, officials are warning residents to be ready in the event of possible sudden power outages. BC Hydro conducted aerial surveillance of its transmission infrastructure and crews saw no damage, but are concerned fires could damage it at any time. The Brenda Creek wildfire is one of two large blazes in the area right now. An area restriction is now in place for that fire. People are asked to stay away from the vicinity of the fire burning south of the Okanagan connector above Peachland. It remains at 500 hectares, but is still considered out of control. An evacuation alert remains in effect for about 18 properties in the area. The Thomas Creek Fire, which broke out near Okanagan Falls on Sunday, remains at about 5,500 hectares. It is burning about one and a half kilometers east of Skaha Lake. A total of 704 properties remain under evacuation alert. An area restriction order is also in effect for this fire. Crews dealing with a new wildfire south of Lytton. The Mohawkwam Creek fire is estimated at 400 hectares, out of control and is highly visible from nearby communities. It's one of three fires being managed by the same team of firefighters. And the calls for the province to declare a province-wide state of emergency are mounting as the wildfire situation keeps on worsening. Now BC Indigenous leaders are speaking out. Darian Matassa-Fung has that part of the story. People lo losing their entire life, um, you know, investment in their, in their properties is just unacceptable. BC Indigenous leaders are calling on the provincial government to step up its response to the 306 active wildfires in the province. They want a province-wide state of emergency declaration. An entire town is burnt to the ground with the loss of life and... These fires are increasing uh, pretty much uh, 26 every couple of days. Um, we're not even uh, in the full fire season, which is August, and these fires continue to intensify. Grand Chief Stuart Phillip, president of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs, says the response to the fires needs to be increased, especially for rural and Indigenous communities who are more vulnerable to wildfires. The indigenous communities are particularly vulnerable because we don't have the capacity uh, to fight fires. Um, most of our communities don't have uh, fire trucks and that type of equipment, fire halls and trained personnel. So we're, we're vulnerable. We live in remote areas and, you know, the fires are in these regions and pose a, a real threat. The BC Premier addressed the calls for a province-wide state of emergency on Friday. Uh, I'm absolutely prepared to call a state of emergency when it is required by those professionals that are putting their lives on the line to protect families, property and British Columbia. In the Okanagan, support for the idea that a province-wide state of emergency should be declared is mixed. The Thompson-Nicola Regional District has also called on the province to invoke the provincial state of emergency. 
Darian Matasafung, Global News. Fire ravaged Lytton, meantime, remains off limits and under the control of B.C.'s Ministry of Environment as toxic hazards are removed. As the village works to rebuild, the volunteer-led team of veterans who helped Fort McMurray recover from its wildfire disaster is now headed to Lytton. Kristen Robinson reports. When Lytton residents return to the difficult task of determining what can be saved from this path of devastation, they will be navigating the unknown. There's a big question mark on what's there still. What have they got left? You know, when they arrive back at the scene of their property, they don't know what's going to be there. The village of Lytton will be guided by a team of volunteer veterans and first responders in its recovery mission. I'm hoping that we can get the, the town rebuilt in two years. One, two four disposable cans. Team Rubicon Canada has been deployed more than 50 times since its first mission to Fort McMurray in 2016. Following a massive wildfire, members helped northern Alberta residents sift through the ashes of more than 2,400 destroyed buildings for anything of value. The biggest thing for us was uh, my dad's uh, World War II medals. We found uh, dad's medal. They're all ex-military veterans, so they have some structure to them. In Lytton, Team Rubicon will also go where others can't in order to salvage what they can for survivors. We're going to dig through that debris. We're going to engage in the dirty work of, of sifting through that, that, those ashes and that debris to try to find those items for those folks. Early disaster relief work will focus on assessing site hazards and planning temporary housing. The goal is to have 10 gray shirts on the ground by Monday. Kristen Robinson, Global News. BC's Muslim community is giving a big financial boost to the Lytton wildfire recovery efforts. Members of the BC Muslim Association presented a more than $35,000 check to the Lytton First Nation Chief Janet Webster at a ceremony outside Chilliwack City Hall on Friday. Lytton is home to the Inklakama people and the wildfire devastation displaced hundreds of members of the Indigenous community along with village residents. In less than two weeks, several interfaith groups and charities came together to raise the money to assist survivors in rebuilding and securing an immediate aid. Uh, we felt it was our duty as Muslims. Uh, our First Nations brothers and sisters have been through a lot specifically. And with the residential schools and uh, with all these things come to light, we wanted to ensure that, especially with this recent disaster in Lytton, we wanted relief funds to go to the Lytton First Nations. It was uh, just hearing uh, how quickly the fire uh, took down that town. And what, was, uh, what the chief had mentioned was uh, the one silver lining was it happened in the daytime because if it was at nighttime, it was so fast people at least had time to, to get out before they could perish. Now, despite a campfire ban amid a devastating wildfire season, it appears some people are still not getting the message. BC conservation officers say they watched a group load a boat full of wood for a campfire at Alouette Lake yesterday. The group was prevented from going ahead with their original plan, and they're now just camping in the area. Campfires and open fires are currently banned in BC until October 15th. 
If you're not vaccinated against COVID-19 yet, health authorities are going out of their way so you don't have to go out of yours. Pop-up clinics are being deployed this weekend, fanning out to popular locations to get vaccines into the arms of almost anyone who wants one. Amada Gahi has the story. The forecast and the farmer's market nearby made Trout Lake a desirable place to be on Saturday also making it the ideal location for a pop-up vaccine clinic. And it's our goal, just make it easy for everyone to have their first dose. Sometimes it's just like passing by and then we have a clinic here, good to go. The lines that at times stretched several dozen meters moved fast. Staff busy administering their 300 vaccines on hand. Here with my mom grabbing our bread to get our, our farmer's market goods and then it was nice to get your second dose at the same time. The pandemic has forced medical student Ariel Locke out of the classroom to instead study online. I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to be in person coming September. Although the majority of shots administered were second doses, the simplicity of it all was also helpful for some to get their first shot. I read about the uh, pop-up clinic last night and I was coming here anyway, so I thought, uh, yeah, that's that's really nice and actually very convenient, so let's just do it. We have seen uh, several first doses today, so that's fantastic. A similar pop-up clinic at Rocky Point Park in Port Moody was equally successful. And there's a lot of young families and um, young adults who congregated this park, so we thought this is a great opportunity for us to, uh, to bring the vaccine to the community. There's been lots of people that just walked by and then they're like, oh, like, am I eligible? And they've just kind of come down. And so I think that there is an accessibility level that this has increased. So I work across the field, so it was very convenient for me. As of Friday, 79.5% of British Columbians 12 years of age and older had at least one dose and 49.9 were fully vaccinated. It was pretty smooth and um, not, not too much of a wait. Pop-up clinics now another tool health officials are using to make sure British Columbians wanting vaccines can access them even easier. Amaragahi, Global News. Assault charges have been dropped following a violent anti-mask confrontation inside a Metro Vancouver department store this past February. Do not touch me! 43-year-old Christopher Wayne Ivany allegedly became belligerent and aggressive with staff when asked to wear a mask inside this Canadian tire in Burnaby. A violent struggle ensued and police were called. Staff placed the customer under arrest before officers arrived. Ivany was charged with two counts of assault and one count each of uttering threats and contravening the province's state of emergency. This week, the two assault charges were stayed. Ivany received a $500 fine and nine months probation on the other charges. If he completes his sentence, he will receive a conditional discharge. After the break, what complainants are calling for amid allegations of racism and physical abuse leveled at the Cloverdale Rodeo Association and how it's responding. Plus, multiple casualties after a major crash closes the Coquihalla Highway for hours. A serious crash on the Coquihalla Highway this morning snarled traffic for most of the day. BC Emergency Health Services says paramedics were called just after 8.30 this morning after a vehicle rolled over near the rest area between Merritt and Hope. Two people were medevaced out to hospital in critical condition. Two other patients were transported by ground. They were said to be in stable condition. Traffic was backed up for kilometres while investigators combed the scene. 
We're learning more about the human rights complaint filed against the Cloverdale Rodeo Association, accusations of a toxic work environment. As Julia Foy reports, the allegations go beyond the actions of a former general manager, with questions also about the roles of four executive directors. The Cloverdale Rodeo and Exhibition has been a crowd pleaser for over 100 years. There was a roller coaster ride, it was like shaped like a caterpillar. It was really fun. But news that close to two dozen people have filed a human rights complaint alleging racism and sexism involving the former general manager Mike McSorley has left many locals shaken. It's really disappointing. I'm glad that people are speaking out. It should not be happening, especially in a country like Canada. That's unfortunate. You would think at this, this day and time things would change, but... The complaint accuses McSorley of harassing several employees and volunteers, including pulling a woman's hair, elbowing her in the ribs, and hitting her with giant wads of wet paper. I did flick her hair. I did at times, I know a couple of times I threw a paper towel and it hit her instead of the garbage. I giggled. I was stupid. Do you regret that? God, yeah. Yeah, of course I do. Former GM Mike McSorley isn't the only person named in this human rights tribunal complaint. The four executive members of the Rodeo Association are named in here as well. President Shannon Claypool, Rich Ketos, Dale Sape and Jerry Spielmacher are accused of knowing about the alleged racist and sexist harassment and doing nothing to stop it. We should wait until the investigation is done, um, and that has already started. And basically, when the, the whole story comes out, then our board of directors will decide what the appropriate action is. The complainants are asking the Rodeo Association to admit it created a poisoned work environment and bring in anti-harassment policy. They're also seeking damages for injuries to dignity and self-respect. Certainly, they deserve an apology. And then they need to put those, those pieces in place. They need to put harassment policies in place. They need to do proper um, HR policies. A statement from the Cloverdale Rodeo Association says the board, staff and volunteers intend for our actions to have a positive impact on our community. Julia Foy, Global News. An overnight fire has destroyed a home in Vancouver's Strathcona neighborhood. Fire crews were called to the 500 block of Pryor Street just before midnight. They arrived to the house engulfed in flames. Some of those flames were shooting out of the windows and the roof. A third alarm was called to bring in more crews. Some people were evacuated and no injuries have been reported. The cause remains under investigation. A quick response was needed with many homes in close proximity. The houses are at some point six inches apart, a foot apart, so it's, uh, it's tough on them to get the exposure lines, get down the side and protect the exposures uh, for the fire skipping along. Coming up, starting their own search. Ground penetrating radar work begins north of Saskatoon, near the site of a former residential school. And later. It's a show that we can start building a new relationship Reaction from Indigenous communities as the Calgary Catholic Diocese announces a financial support plan for survivors. Members from a group of First Nations in Saskatchewan have started searching the site of another former residential school looking for remains. During the effort on Saturday, one survivor of the Assimilation Institution talked about her experiences and how she was locked in a basement for hugging her brothers. And a warning, the content of this story will be disturbing for some viewers. 
Jenny Spyglass says she was forced to go to Delmas Residential School when she was just three years old. Crews are looking at several locations in the area with ground-penetrating radar and began where a cemetery was located about two hours north of Saskatoon. Spyglass says she hopes the search will help find the remains of those who died at the school, like her brother. This is where my little brother passed away. He was only four years old. They starved him to death. An organizer says they hope to announce their first findings as early as next week. And we know this news is very difficult to process and traumatizing for some. Help is available 24-7 through the National Residential School Survivor Hotline at 1-866-925-4419. Nova Scotians are heading to the polls for a summer election. Liberal leader Ian Rankin met with the province's lieutenant general this morning to dissolve government, setting the stage for an August 17th vote. Rankin was sworn in as premier less than five months ago, replacing Stephen McNeil as the province entered the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I've been asked since I was elected uh, leader of this province when I was going to call the election. And I said that there are a number of things that I wanted to do. We've passed a budget, delivered a throne speech. We've made targeted investments. We have a realistic plan that we're bringing to the people of the province. People are optimistic and they want to know what the future looks like and how we can best recover from, our, from the pandemic. Rankin's Liberals entered the fifth year of its current mandate in May and have been reduced to a minority following member resignations. The 38-year-old recently revealed he'd been convicted of drunk driving in 2003 and again in 2005, though those charges were later overturned. It has been two weeks since U.S. President Joe Biden celebrated America's near independence from the novel coronavirus, but the persistence of vaccine hesitancy in parts of the country and the sharp rise of COVID-19 cases has Biden calling out social media for spreading misinformation about vaccines. In Tipton County, Tennessee, just north of Memphis, vaccine skepticism runs deep. I just feel like there's a lack of research. It's, it was too fast to get it out there. Only about 25% of people in this county are fully vaccinated. Meanwhile, the state of Tennessee has seen a 310% jump in new COVID cases over the last two weeks. Here and around the country, the rise is fueled by people choosing not to get vaccinated. You just don't trust it. Not at all. If Donald Trump told me to take that thing, I wouldn't take it. Most of the states with the lowest vaccination rates are in the South. Unfortunately, in our part of the country, we've not had as good of success with getting people vaccinated as we'd like to. According to the Census Bureau, the top reasons people are hesitant, they're concerned about side effects, they don't trust the government, or they want to wait and see if it's safe. The U.S. Surgeon General, who lost 10 family members to COVID, is now issuing his first health advisory, not on drugs or smoking, but vaccine misinformation. The voices of doctors, nurses, scientists and public health experts are too often being drowned out by the false sirens of misinformation. A recent study finds two-thirds of unvaccinated adults believe major myths about vaccines, such as they cause infertility or change your DNA. Simply not true. Lester asked the head of the CDC about this. Uh, we have seen a lot of false information out there. How harmful has it been to your efforts? 
certainly it hasn't helped. Um, we know that that misinformation actually spreads more readily than the information that we're trying to get out there. From conservative news outlets. If the vaccine is so great, wouldn't it sell itself? There'd be no reason to force people to take it. But people are being forced to take it. To social media. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And they're killing people. Facebook fired back, saying it will not be distracted by accusations which aren't supported by the facts. It's removed more than 18 million pieces of COVID misinformation. YouTube says it's taken down more than 800,000 videos. TikTok, 50,000 just late last year. The World Health Organization and the United Nations are calling it an infodemic. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Covington, Tennessee. In health news, a new study is giving us a clearer picture of just how many lives COVID-19 vaccinations have saved in just the U.S. alone. Researchers at the Yale School of Public Health found that vaccines have prevented about 279,000 deaths and 1.25 million hospitalizations. But the concerns are with the variants. They continue to surge in parts of the U.S. and doctors warn many more people still need to get vaccinated. And cuddling, hugging, or holding your child's hand are the best ways to soothe them after they get their COVID-19 jab. This is according to Canadian researchers who say trying to verbally calm a child does not help reduce their distress. Researchers add that two minutes after getting the shot, most children no longer feel distressed, but a quarter of young children still do. And coming up next, feeling the social responsibility of a major win. This wasn't a financial issue. This was a a moral issue. Uh, How am I going to use this money for good? How Canada's newest multi-millionaire plans to spend his Lotto Max jackpot next. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. I really wanted uh, spiritual and moral advice. uh, Because for me, this wasn't a financial issue. Who this military veteran immediately turned to for advice on spending his $65 million Lotto Max jackpot in just a moment. But first, a Victoria woman who lost her engagement ring more than a month ago now has her prized possession back. The $10,000 ring was reunited with its owner on Friday after someone saw a Facebook post about the missing item and turned it into Victoria Police. The ring was last seen in an office building on Shelburne Street on June 11th. Its owner is grateful to be wearing it again. Oh, I bet. What a beautiful ring. Yeah. As we bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at the forecast, I'm grateful as well for a bit of a cool down in the weather, which will certainly help on the firefight as well. Absolutely. And we've managed to see a few sprinkles for a few areas along the south coast. And we've had some rain across the northern half, which has really helped with the firefight uh, fire situation across the province. We do still have some instability this evening, and I'll show you where in just a moment. Beautiful shot, though, overlooking English Bay. It was cooler today. Temperatures are still sitting at around 23 degrees. And we've got a south, uh, southerly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. We've had some active weather, and that's all been inland, especially areas near Prince George, the central interior. Now, uh, Prince 
Prince George as well as the Stuart Nachaco region. We've got a severe thunderstorm watch that is in effect. We've had a warning for a few areas near Williams Lake through the day today. And what we could potentially see is severe thunderstorms developing, gusty winds, hail, and lightning will be a big concern, especially with the dry conditions and hot conditions that we have had over the last little while. But that's where we're seeing the watch that is in effect at this hour. Smoky skies, a bit of a reprieve has cleared up for a few areas across the province, but we're still seeing it in towards the Kootenai, the Okanagan Valley, Okanagan Valley rather, and the Shushwap. We're still seeing local smoke, and that'll continue in towards tomorrow. Fire danger rating with the rainfall that we've been tracking across the northern half of the region. A nice reprieve. We've now hit low to moderate for most areas, but then areas towards the south, the southeastern corners, we're still seeing it high to extreme. So please be very diligent. And if you do spire, uh, spot any fire activity, call star 5555 immediately. Now, the northern half of the province, we will still see some on and off showers. It continues over the next few days along the coast, but the instability is going to pick up once again, and that'll be along the central interior for tomorrow where there is the risk of thunderstorms. The northern half tomorrow, we can see there's that shower activity that'll continue. Inland, temperatures still getting into the low 20s. That risk of thunderstorms will just be across the central interior, and it's still hot, very dry for the southern interior. Temperatures getting into the low 30s. Most areas along the south coast will still have a few clouds in the mix, potentially just for the morning hours. It clears out, and that's along the northern and western edge of the island. Victoria tomorrow getting up to 23 degrees. Temperatures do bump up. Away from the water tomorrow, 25 with that humidex. It'll feel like 28 degrees and sunny and hot. We're not tracking any precipitation, Nithu. Today is day 32 without precipitation. It looks like we'll continue to see that hot and dry stretch into next week. Wow. All right. Thanks so much for that, Yvonne. An Ontario man is $65 million richer after winning the Lotto Max earlier this month. It's a dream many have spent time contemplating how they'd spend all that money. And as Erica Vella reports, he already has ambitious plans for the cash. I happen to be uh, out uh, in this uh, near this park, actually, just uh, playing Pokemon Go. He made a split-second decision. He would buy a lottery ticket at a nearby gas station. Paid uh, $5, uh, got my quick pick. Uh, and uh, it went through with about a minute and a half to go, so I was pretty lucky. But Ng didn't know just how lucky he was. He would soon find out. Someone, you know, in, in York Region had won $65 million. And I was like, wow, that's cool. You know, maybe it's uh, somebody I know. A few days later, he says he went to buy another ticket on a Friday evening. I scanned uh, the first uh, couple tickets, uh, didn't win. Uh, was a little bummed about that. But he had one ticket left. It was kind of weird. I got this message that said, please see retailer. You know, so I asked him, like, have you ever seen this message before? Please see retailer. And uh, he said, uh, no. You know, and I, I was joking, like, hey, maybe I won the big jackpot. Okay. One super seven is His guess, spot on. Ng is now $65 million richer. And the first person he turned to for advice, his pastor. I really wanted uh, spiritual and moral advice. uh, Because for me, this wasn't a financial issue. This was uh, a moral issue. Uh, How am I going to use this money for good? Ng says he had fallen on hard times in the past. He served in the military, but a traumatic brain injury had forced him to leave the profession that he loved. It's like being a doctor who can't practice medicine anymore or an engineer who can't make stuff anymore. You know, like being a soldier and serving Canada, um, being a patriot, it was so uh, important to me. It took time for Ng to carve out a new path. And now with his winnings, he says he vows to help others. I think what really drives people to to play the lottery is uh, hope, you know, and and hope is really what drives 
uh, humans for, right? It drives our society forward. And the one thing Ng has said he does plan to splurge on is retiring his 12-year-old hybrid car and buying an electric vehicle. Wow, what an inspiring message. Good choice. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Barry's here for a preview of what's coming up in sports. Barry, what do you have ahead? Well, it's, I know it's mid-July, but it's a big week uh, in the NHL. The expansion draft is Wednesday, so the Seattle Kraken are going to pick off the other rosters of the other NHL teams to make up their new rosters. So teams are trying to protect guys and make deals, and through all that, the Canucks have made a trade. So we'll tell you who they got from the Dallas Stars. I think a pretty good upgrade. That's coming up. And two Canadians on the front page of the leaderboard at the Open Championship, which is pretty much unprecedented. So highlights of that as well. All right, some big news ahead. Thanks for that. Barry. Also coming up, supporting survivors. Recognize that there is a is a broken relationship between the church and the residential schools. The Calgary Catholic Diocese announces it's providing money to support residential school survivors. We'll hear from Indigenous leaders next. Attention consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. And Rua investigates consumer matters on Global News. The Calgary Catholic Diocese has announced it is committed to providing money to support residential school survivors. As Carolyn Curry de Castillo reports, local Indigenous advocates are looking forward to hearing the details. There were 25 residential schools in Alberta, 16 were Catholic. Now the Diocese of Calgary has announced that measures are being taken to financially support survivors. I think the survivors, you know, they've been asking for this kind of retribution and this kind of uh, compensation since the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission report came out. In a statement, the diocese says it's committed to providing a monetary contribution to a local appeal that expresses the commitment of the diocese to the ongoing work of justice and healing with Indigenous peoples. When I first read it, I thought it was encouraging in the sense that, you know, they're trying to do some reparations to the harms that they've caused. But when you when you reread it and you see no reference to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission or the 94 Calls to Action, you know, you really wonder if, if this is performative. Resolution Health Support worker Marilyn Northpagan would like to see money go towards programs to help survivors heal. I think it's important to recognize that there is a is a broken relationship between the church and the residential school survivors and money isn't going to do uh, you know everything but it's it's a it's a show that we can start building a new relationship i'm grateful that the announcement has come out it's too bad it has to come out um after the discoveries. Linda Manyguns with Mount Royal University says the Canadian government needs to be held accountable too and churches need to come clean with all their documents. The government was the employer and if these churches really wanted to be decent they would turn over all their records too. When the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement was signed in 2006 the Roman Catholic Church agreed to provide 25 million dollars in compensation for historical wrongs. Most of that money has not been raised. The Calgary Diocese says the amount of the monetary contribution and details of the financial appeal will be announced in September. Carolyn Curry de Castillo Global News. Coming up in sports, details on the Canucks' move to strengthen their roster ahead of next week's expansion draft. And a unique view of the Snowbirds over Metro Vancouver, and we'll tell you where you can catch them next weekend. Stay with us. 
special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. Head to Britannia Mine Museum to learn all about our relationship to copper. On now until September 7th, see the Connected by Copper exhibit, exploring how copper is entwined in all of our daily lives. Book your visit in advance at BritanniaMineMuseum.ca. Join the Ronald McDonald House BC and Yukon for their annual Vancouver Golf Tournament. Head to the Northview Golf and Country Club and enjoy on-course food, prizes, 50-50 draw, and more. All to support the families who rely on the Ronald McDonald House. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back with a look at sports and strategy seems to be the name of the game for the Canucks today. That's right. I was giving, giving you a little uh, <laughs> yeah. tutelage there about that. what's going on with expansion drafts. Thanks, Nithu. Uh, it was a busy day on the trade front in the NHL, including for the Canucks, as teams look to move and add players ahead of next week's expansion draft. There's also the entry draft next Friday, which is followed closely by free agency. So lots of moving parts. And the Canucks swung a deal today for a guy who the Dallas Stars figured they would lose in the expansion draft forward Jason Dickinson. It cost the Canucks a third round pick in next Friday's draft to get him. Dickinson fitting the profile of a much needed quality bottom six forward. Dickinson's numbers aren't eye-popping, but he's got good hands, as these highlights will attest, so he can chip in offensively. Seven goals, eight assists in 51 games last year, but in an expanded role in Vancouver, both he and the Canucks think he can score much more. He's a former first-round pick, 29th overall by the Stars in 2013. He's certainly an upgrade, and he's only 26. Also today, the Maple Leafs acquired former Canuck Jared McCann from Pittsburgh for a prospect and a draft pick. And Philly, Vegas and Nashville swung a three-team deal. Defenseman Ryan Ellis goes to Philadelphia. Nolan Patrick goes to Vegas while Nashville gets Philip Myers and Cody Glass. So a very busy day in the NHL and uh, expect more to come in the next few days. Well, there's been a shift in Canadian men's golf at the top. A couple of years ago, Abbotsford's uh, Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor were certainly Canada's top two male players, but that has all changed. Ontario boys Mackenzie Hughes and Corey Connors have charged past them, especially over the past 12 months. Connors and Hughes will represent Canada at the Olympics in a couple of weeks, and they're also on the first page of the leaderboard after three rounds of the Open Championship at Royal St. George's in England as they try to become the first Canadians ever to win that major. Connors with the top tens at the last two Masters tournaments, feeling comfortable in the heat of the major. He had a patient round, part his first nine, but then took off on the inward half, a birdie at 10, and then another birdie here at the 12th. And that got him to six under and into the top 10. He birdied the 13th as well. And then at the 14th, Connors completes the hat trick. Three birdies in a row and still bogey free on the round, which is not easy to do at any Open Championship. 17th hole, Connors from off the green. But check out this effort for birdie. Just slides it by, but it's a bogey free four under 66. Connors is right there, tied for fourth, eight under par. He'll play in the second-to-last pairing tomorrow. His good friend Mackenzie Hughes wobbled a bit on the back, but then righted the ship 
birdies at 14, 16, and then this bomb at 18. Hughes tied for sixth at seven under after a two under 68. So Canadians right in the mix at the open. How exciting is that? Jordan Spieth won this uh, tournament in 2017, finding his game again this year after a slump of about three years out of the tall grass. Great shot here to three feet, made birdie. Spieth led or had a share of the lead for much of the day, but he made bogeys on his final two holes, including missing a very short par putt on 18. So Spieth is third at nine under. He'll play with Corey Connors in the second to last group. Meanwhile, Colin Morikawa shook off a slow start. Two bogeys in his first five, but finished strong. Two under 68 for Morikawa. Solo second at 11 under, looking for his second major of his young career. But they're all chasing Louis Oosthuizen, the South African, has led this tournament after each round. Great tee shot on 16 here, led to a birdie and solo lead at 12 under, one better than Morikawa. Oosthuizen has six runner-up finishes in majors in his career, including two already this year. Will he be able to close the deal tomorrow? That is the big question. Oosthuizen did win the 2010 Open Championship, but uh, there's still a lot of players in the mix, including the two Canadians. Vancouver Whitecaps, or BC Lions rather, concluded their first scrimmage of camp this morning in Kamloops. Went about as well as you'd expect from a bunch of guys who haven't played in over a year. A little sloppy, according to Coach Rick Campbell, but that wasn't a shock. There is a lot of rust to knock off over the next few weeks. Our D-line's done such a good job in uh, training camp of doing things like being on side and stuff. And I think when we kind of ratcheted up the, temp, the intensity a bit, uh, we forgot a few things like lining up on side, but those are that's very typical of uh, week one in the training camp. So I think it, this is a big, big thing for us to do is do this for the players and then to watch it and learn from it. So, so we'll be doing that over the next uh, couple days and then uh, shift on to to week two. What did you like about week one, Rick? I really liked people's enthusiasm. Uh, I liked their effort. I liked uh, how engaged people were, that people are really paying attention. We actually have done, we have quite a bit of stuff in uh, playbook-wise, offensively and defensively and special teams. So we, we had a lot of stuff going, and, and that's on purpose just because we're on a shortened time frame as far as getting ready for our first game. So we've asked a lot of the players as far as learning. I think they've risen to the occasion. Vancouver Whitecaps take on the L.A. Galaxy tonight. You can listen to the broadcast on AM 730 starting at 7 o'clock. Mark DeSantos has a big mountain to climb to get this team into a playoff spot. The Caps have gone eight straight without a win. They're last in the West, and they have the worst goal differential at minus 10. It's very clear what I want and what I have in my head of how we want to play. Um, now we we're trying slowly to have the guys, you know, getting more and more used to it. So it is a balance between how do we get the right results and at the same time, how do we stick to what we want to be about as a club. MLS tonight, actual fans in the stands in Toronto tonight. 7,000 allowed at BMO Field as TFC took on Orlando. First home game with fans in 16 months. The Whitecaps would love to follow course as soon as possible, but no date in sight for Vancouver's return to BC Place. And the fans got to cheer this goal by Josie Altidore. Heads at home in the 72nd, but Orlando came back and ended in a one-all draw. In the next game, TFC will be allowed 15,000 fans, just 7,000 tonight. 
and Formula One at Silverstone in England this weekend. For the first time ever, F1 held a Saturday sprint race, similar to the NASCAR circuit, I suppose. 17 laps, just 100K long. Teams could choose their own tires, no mandatory pit stops. Lewis Hamilton started at the front of the pack, but... Max Verstappen passed him right off the top and was never caught. Gets the sprint win. Hamilton was second. Three championship points for Verstappen. He'll start on the pole again tomorrow in the British Grand Prix. And baseball fans, if you're wondering about the Blue Jays, they were rained out today. They'll play a doubleheader against Texas tomorrow. That's it. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, a cockpit view of the snowbirds flying over Metro Vancouver and where they're headed next this weekend. Our world is changing fast, but the plan remains the same. Ask the questions, explain the answers, provide the context. When and where BC needs it most. Global News. Navigate the now. Our world is changing fast, but the plan remains the same. Ask the questions, explain the answers, provide the context. When and where BC needs it most. Global News. Navigate the now. Well, if you missed seeing the Canadian Forces snowbirds flying in formation over the lower mainland yesterday, there is another opportunity later this weekend. Here's a view from the cockpit of one of the planes as the world-famous snowbirds flew along with a CF-18 on Friday over Metro Vancouver hospitals. It's part of Operation Inspiration, which pays tribute to frontline healthcare workers for their efforts during the pandemic. The team is set to perform an aerobatic display over Boundary Bay in White Rock on Sunday. And not to be outdone, the CF-18 demonstration team will conduct fly pass over central and southern Vancouver Island tomorrow afternoon. Wow, I'm sure social media will be flooded <laughs> with videos afterwards. You just have to look up, way yeah, up. Keep your eyes <laughs> to the skies. Exactly. <laughs> and you certainly have been doing that, Yvonne. Uh, any weather challenges that they should be aware of? Uh, so far, it's going to be dry, which is great news. And we've got some more sunshine in the mix uh, tomorrow. Highs, though, away from the water, still up to 25. With the Humidex, it'll feel like 28 degrees. And in the long range, we're not tracking any precipitation just yet. It is much needed. It is going to be dry, sunny into early next week. And most part, uh, areas near the water will be sitting in to the low 20s. So plenty of sunshine in the long range and remaining dry. And a welcome cool down. Yes. This is considered a cool it's down. It's not record-breaking heat, so it is yeah. a nice break in comparison to what we have. It's yes, pleasant. <laughs> pleasant indeed. Well, what's been pleasant as well is sharing some of our weekend with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11. Have a great night.